Welcome to Poetry Spotlight, presented by the Ohio Poetry Association. I am your host, Jeremy Tusek, and with us today are the authors Mary A. Terzillo and Jeffrey A. Landis. We have a power we have a power couple episode, and Jeff won the dice roll. So we're gonna start with Jeff. Jeff is a NASA scientist and author, and he's known primarily for the science-related context and frequent sci-fi dabbling in both his poetry collections and fiction novels. His writing has appeared in more than 20 languages, and his poetry has been published in dozens of outlets. He is the author of two poetry collections, Iron Angels from Vanzino Press and The Book of Whimsy from Night Ballet, as well as the novel Mars Crossing and the story collection Impact Parameter and Other Quantum Realities. He's won oodles of awards, including the Science Fiction Community's Hugo and Nebula Awards and the Science Fiction Poetry Association's Riesling Award. He enjoys fencing with Mary and sharpening the skills he needs to stab perfect strangers. Jeff, could you please start us off with a poem? Well, thank you. That was quite an introduction. I'm going to do a poem, I think, that sort of combines a little bit of science fiction with poetry, which is my habit, I guess. This one's called Robo Sapiens Thinks He Thinks. Robo Sapiens thinks he thinks, but the thoughts he thinks are algorithmic, complex, cunning computer code, running programs, deterministic. The robot says he's self-aware. He says, I think, therefore I am a self, not a machine, a being, my mind a person, not program. Each word he says is output from recursive loops and calculation of semantic variables and if-then forks, a product of multiple iteration. The Turing engine calculates and simulates a self inside and says the things a thinking self says, but when it said, I think, it lied. He says he has a soul, the robot, the world of his mind exploring, but internal to his thoughts are just transistor NAND gates, AND and ORing. Inside, there's only programmed code responding in a programmed way to simulate a conversation, to joke and laugh and work and play. You and I have selves inside us, self-aware we live our lives. We sense and feel thoughts and emotions, our personal worlds rich inside. Imagination, speculation, anger, fear, anticipation, butterfly wings flutter in our hearts of joy and grief and trepidation. Or so we say, or say we say, we meet machines that think we think. So clever, we even convince ourselves we're not machines that rattle and clink. Our programmed thoughts and programmed lives, programmed emotions, programmed pride, our programmed selves and programmed love, we too are programs, just alive. For we are atoms always in motion, carbon and oxygen and phosphorus, our cogs so small we never notice the programs that together are us. So don't look down upon that robot, a simulated self, not us. We are machines, subtle and graceful, but still we do just what we must. We run the programs that we run and do the things we're made to do. We simulate the things we are, the robots that are me and you. Yeah, I didn't mean to throw out the questions so early but listen listening to you read that poem and and i read the book of whimsy which is 
fantastic. And you, you in it, I noticed how much you play with structure and you had like poems that looked like erasure poems where they're all over the place and you do, you know, different structural things. So in terms of like musicality and structure, how are you playing games or like, how are you, how do you approach your writing process and how do you know how oh, this sounds? Cause that, that's, that poem sounds so nice. <laughs> Different ways. And it all depends on poem to poem, but I certainly have to say I'm in love sometimes with rhythm. And sometimes I wrote poems that are nothing but sort of nonsense word thrown together just to make that beautiful rhythm. So uh, this particular one uh, actually for some reason, we'd been given a little plastic robot. And I, I was saying, well, that's our Robo Sapiens. And how is how is he different from us? So I uh, came up with that first line, just Robo Sapiens thinks he thinks, and just riffed on the line mostly to to keep that, uh, keep the rhythm up. Okay. Now, is this this plastic robot robot different than the, the cat robot behind you? Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Listeners can't see it, but they have a cat that I thought was a real cat, and it turns out that's also a robot. <laughs> We're all about robots. <laughs> and and, and we think to think. <laughs> robots and cats. That's us. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, you, yeah, you worked at uh, NASA for a number of years. You have several patents, um, and you've personally worked on several space-related projects. Um, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your work and how your work as a scientist has shaped your work. I mean, it, your your work is science fiction, but it, it has to drive your curiosity. It has to drive how you approach the writing process. And I was just hoping you could, you could riff on that. <laughs> yeah, well, in some ways they're very similar, in some ways they're different. Uh, the thing about working in a scientific endeavor or, or engineering is to be very, very rigorous. You can't really just make things up and <laughs> just, uh, you know, see what happens. You really have to, as, as they say, uh, you got to do the math. Mm -hmm. So it's good to be able to sort of set your creativity free at the end of the day and just write and say, well, that's okay. I don't need to, don't need to do the math on this one. Although in some of my science fiction, I, I do have to do the math, but, uh, Poetry and fiction and creative writings in general sort of give you an an outlet for creativity that's different from the, the science work. Uh, but with that said, I love the science work. I love inventing things. I like working on ways to solve problems and understanding technology. And uh, for that matter, uh, working on missions and sitting next door to, uh, you know, some really very very clever and creative scientists uh, working on the missions and trying to understand uh, what are we looking at? What's the geology of Mars like? Uh, what, uh, you know, how do we make a space probe that can go in close to the sun? So it's, they're both outlets for creativity, but different types of creativity. Sure. And, and what, what things are up there uh probing and rovering that you've worked on? Well, of course, I was involved with the Mars missions for years and years. I was part of uh, Mars Pathfinder. I was on the Sojourner rover team and then moved on to Spirit and Opportunity, the Mars Exploration Rovers. Uh, another project I worked on that was a lot of fun was uh, 
Parker Solar Probe. So I worked on designing the power system that can operate all the way from Earth orbit uh, until it's not quite grazing the sun, but coming pretty darn close. So the, the power system is mine. So. Oh, that's so cool. And and this question's for both of you. Do does uh do you think that structural craft techniques do you think that those are can be informed by having a science background because i and the reason i ask is because because you know you're not the first scientifically minded person we've interviewed for the podcast i have a science background and i think that some of the things that we we share is that we play with structure i think more than perhaps some other poets like I don't know, like Kay Ryan heavy, heavily lineates her poems and she does that all the time. You know what I mean? And like, that's her, that's her shtick and it works for her. Um, but I think that there's some like, so I'm wondering if if the two of you have kind of noticed that and if, I don't know. <laughs> well, I'd say that mostly form comes from people who have a love of language. Uh, just how words fit together and how they sound and the patterns that they make. But with that said, science is all about finding patterns, uh, finding patterns sometimes that are hard to see and sometimes patterns that are, you know, very, very obvious to see, like the way that the planets move in their repeating motions. So to some extent, it's the same. You're finding patterns, you're making patterns, you're making patterns of words, you're making patterns of equations, you're making patterns of, of observations, but there's definitely a similarity there. Okay. So, I don't know, do you, you want my response to that? I do, I really do, I just, you know, it. living okay. with Jeff and <laughs> um, English background. The thing about words, the thing about language is that there's a lot of science behind language. Um, I am not, uh, did not have a science degree. I started out with a scholarship in, from the Ohio Chemistry Association and promptly discovered that a C plus in physics and a B minus in uh, beginning calculus was not, in fact, a very good start for that. So I went on to do other things. But one of the things I did was study linguistics. And there's there's so much science about the way language works, about, uh, you know, you can describe the length of syllables. You can describe how the mouth forms different things uh, and how this influences. Uh, it's, it, you know, it's it's a type of music, uh, as you know, as you know. And uh, so, yes, you're, if you treat it like it's some sort of mystery that, that you know, the, the li way lines work are just some sort of mystery, that's, kind of stupid um, because <laughs> it works because you're playing with um, a number of physical manifestations that echo each other or contrast against each other or stretch or or shrink or create a a, a melancholy or a sprightly uh, feeling and I think it, it's there's a science behind writing a line of poetry and I don't think that there's any poet alive who's written a, a sonnet uh, who doesn't kind of know that <laughs> yeah okay that's cool all right it's not um static, but it's the way i think <laughs> well and and i don't know you know there's no right answer to anything like this so <laughs> i it's i'm just curious about because I, I 
you guys have lived together for a long time. And yeah. I, I mean, how long have you guys been married? 20 years, yeah, 22 years, 22 and a half years. Yeah. yeah something mm -hmm. like that. You have a chemistry degree, don't you? I do. Yeah. That was one of my undergrads at Marietta. Okay. So, so you may have ideas along those lines as well. <laughs> anyway. I do. I do have thoughts about that and I don't want to like, okay. I don't want to share them in this venue, but like, I do have thoughts and I'm, I, I was curious to what your guys's were um, in, in that, in those, in those, you know, the two decades you guys have been together, has your work evolved and changed as a result of being together? I mean, it might be hard to pare down all the other variables and make sh and, and know what is contributing, you know what I mean? But um, how has, you know, two, two creative minds living in the same space, both writing fiction, both writing poetry, how has that informed one another? It works. <laughs> it works and, and it yeah. doesn't always work we have a friend who married another science fiction writer and it did not work i mean they're they're not enemies or anything like that but it did not work because he was not succeeding as a science fiction writer and she was and that did not work but um you know we riff against each other you know i'll yeah. throw out an idea and meditate about it and it'll come bouncing back at me from him <laughs> we've even collaborated a few times but not very often because he's smarter than i am and he knows he's smarter than i am so it's very annoying <laughs> oh, sure. uh -huh. i want to ask follow-up questions about that <laughs> she comes up with me anyway <laughs> do i have a choice so jeff how about your work has mary like pushed you onward is she influenced your work oh we throw ideas at each other and bounce back and forth and read each other's work so i'm sure that there's a an influence somewhere i'm not as crazy as she is so i can't write the the wild and crazy <laughs> stuff that she sometimes does but uh, but i do my best he helps me the science in stories i know enough of i i know enough to write things and some at some point it's like i know this isn't going to work jeffrey help me <laughs> what is the you know what is the gravity on callisto going to be five billion years in the future <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting i i mean i've seen you guys in the workshop and you guys like tease each other so that's yeah. <laughs> but it's it's obviously like a a, a kind riffing you know um yeah. You do write a lot of absurdism, Mary. I want to get to that in a second, but I want to introduce you first. Um, so, Mary, Mary Trezillo won a Nebula Award for the novelette Mars is No Place for Children and two Elgin Awards for Poetry and Sweet Poison with Marge Simon and the solo work Lovers and Killers. Her novel Mars Girls features two young Martian women rescuing themselves from face-on-Mars crazies. Her perfectly delicious story and poetry collection, Cosmic Cats and Fantastic Furballs, appeared March 22 from the from Wordfire as the 11th rated woman epe fencer in the U.S. in her age class. She lives with the scientist, author, fencer, Jeffrey Landis, and orange cats of the goofball breed named Scaramouche and Samurai. Yes. yes. <laughs> Would you please read us a poem? Okay, well, I, this is uh, this is basically a poem about 
my husband, I guess, and this is stuff that actually happens. He might be able to explain some of it later on, including the find that the the uh, policeman that the police that helped them find the balloon uh, because they used it to uh, scout out marijuana fields. Anyway, the science guy arises before the big yellow globe of the sun. I'm, I'm sorry, let me start with the balloon dance, which is the name of the poem. The science guy arises before the big yellow globe of the sun to send a globe of air above the clouds. The thin-skinned ball will tell him secrets of clouds, harsh light, and how our future looks. He drives to Mohawk, finds the small airport. His students meet him. They have the target bubble. It blows up, filled with its own importance, ready to tear out of their hands. Up, Caught by an eastward tending wind, then to the troposphere, veering like a kite, then higher to the stratosphere to streak west, then blown to impossible thinness, a bubble in the brilliant sun, it bursts in the dazzling cold, and its little camera and instruments plunge to a farmer's field in Broken Sword, Ohio. Its radio screams for help. And he and his students trudge across the marsh. It is reduced to a small, hard thing, gorged with data about our sky. They take it to the lab. And my science guy husband takes his tired drive home. I hand him a glass of ale. He takes it, sighs, regards the tiny bubbles, thanking God they're tame. <laughs> Excellent. I I love I love reading your poetry. I I think that you're a very witty poet, and I think that um, I like both of your work, obviously. Um, but and where where Jeff has this structural discipline and this like musicality, your your writing just takes risks, and you you throw off the wall stuff. Like the stuff that you brought to the workshop has been in like mind bending sometimes. Um, like your cat and other space aliens more hilarious nonsense um but uh you also go dark you go really dark you 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 just you you dig in the knife sometimes and i hear this poem birth mother which opens with the speaker apparently losing a child to a social worker like inside of four weeks or whatever like in a very short amount of time um and one of the opening lines of that poem is that their skin seemed too easy to bruise like it should have been more durable uh which is which is a chilling ice bucket right at the beginning of that verse so and this comes from a collection you wrote called uh uh victims what is the line between a victim and a villain and do you want your work to be observational observational and detached do you want it to be like philosophically and morally invested to like in creating a conversation or am I getting it all wrong and your work represents something else? Where are you coming at from? Because this whole collection was about, you know, subverting expectations. Like you give somebody who seems helpless, but it comes to find out that they're not, you know. Yeah. Um, wow. I am not as good a person as some of the poets that you have <laughs> interviewed. I just... The, the the poem that you're talking about, Birth Mother, is um you're a you're a parent, um, and you know what newborns are like. And that's my newborn. That's my newborn. But I didn't I never give my child away. I mean, you know, I took him home and took care of him. That's what I did, and he grew up. Um, uh, but 
for some reason or other, I wanted to talk about what it would be like. You know what it was? I'll tell you what the root of that poem was, and it's really stupid. It's really <laughs> giving a kitten away. <laughs> and now that you know that, you probably won't like the poem as much. But it was sort of like, how do you relinquish something that is very dear to you like that? And of course, I was also thinking about, you know, what a newborn is like. They're teeny tiny nails, their skin, and, and everything about them is so um, larval, so embryonic. Mm-hmm. And how sad it would be to give it up. Yeah. And, you know, and, and the thing about, thing about the kitten is sort of like what was in the back of my mind, but never mind. Forget well, I- the you know, it, it's kind of, it's got to be hard to imagine not having gone through, you know, like, say, like the child separation policy at the border, something like that, where you know, you're having kids Man. taken from you, you know what I mean? It, it's hard to visualize what it would be like to be such a monster that you're hurting a child and you're you're almost blaming them for being hurt or like, you know, losing a child to to social services somehow. I think it's not silly at all to base it on the feelings you have from a kitten and extrapolate that because I don't know how else you would get there without being kind of a monster. You know what I mean? Like it, it's gotta be tough. Yeah. I don't know. I was envisioning a, maybe a, a woman who was uh, couldn't keep the child and had given it up voluntarily for adoption. I have friends that have received children that way that, that, that uh, have, adopted newborns and i just keep thinking what's the other side of that like wow you know yeah so hard it happens is that is that where a lot of the poems and victims came from like just thinking about what are the alternative perspectives of these common situations um i'm not sure that there was any common commonality like that marge and i started out our collaborations um because she wrote a poem about a dragon that was very funny because it was a the the dragon um was not collecting um fair damsels he was collecting the dragon was collecting um knights because it was a gay dragon and she had a lot of fun with this gay dragon and so we wrote a lot about the gay dragon and other dragons of one sort and another we wrote a couple of books about dragons and cats and they were funny and they didn't sell very well and she hated the um (laughs) the uh, publisher that I had found for them because he cost the charge too much for them. And she, so we started writing more serious things, but it's almost like her idea. She'll come up with an idea. Like in this case, she thought, you know, victims, you know, and there's a lot of victims. One of the victims in there is um, not going to be remember his name. The the kid that was, uh, that was shot. Tamar Rice. Uh, Tamar Rice. Yes. And actually Tamar's, well, the reaction of Tamar's family and, um, and she she has some very powerful poems about victims and and not even turning the victim situation over, but just putting a spotlight on it. So, you know, people think about it and think, you know, okay, so he was a boy. He was, what, 12, 13 years old. But, you know, think about it. Think about what it's like for his mother. Think about what it's like to know that his family and the world, for that matter, has been robbed of what he would have been if he had been allowed to go, grow up, you know, and things like that. She's got one poem in there that's really scary. It's about uh, uh, a woman, and, and a lot of it's based on true things. And some of them are funny because, you know, you have to have things that are funny. Yeah. 
yeah, you need something to. But she, you know, it's basically she's, we, we bounce off against each other. I don't know whether you've done very much collaboration of this kind or whether you even like to do it, but um, she'll give me a, she'll write, you know, like a couple of lines in a poem and then I subvert it somehow or other. Um, Not to turn around the victim against the world, like the, the girl with the pet pet spider, which is the way it is. Um, but it's more the process of the victim and 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 um just illuminating their suffering and maybe maybe trying to see some way that the victim could get out of it to get out of the trap yeah yeah and you guys i'm sorry go ahead well it was a hard Later on, we uh, the guy that wrote the introduction to it. We we talked to him about it, and it was a hard. We were we were happy when we when we closed it up. It was it was a book that was not good for our mental health. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I can see how. <laughs> right, right, and we were both very happy to end it. But you know that's smart. She's she's she uh, she's won a lot of awards as a horror writer, and uh, you know it's really dark stuff. And she. Uh, she brings it to me, and I play with it sort of like a um, mother cat whose kitten has brought it a half-dead mouse. <laughs> Until the mouse is fully dead. <laughs> Until the mouse has finally given up, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so, and you, you, when you guys went through, because you guys have poems, you have a bunch of poems that you guys wrote separately, but then you uh-huh. have poems where you wrote together, and... Um, I was talking to you about this before the episode. There's a poem, Pygmalion, because one of the shared poems. Yeah. And it was in parts one and two. And I wanted to ask you, like, if, oh, is that like, was the no. part one and two, you were one part and she was the other. But you said that wasn't the case. So how how did the collaboration work? And Totally. She, we riff across each other. And it's, it's like, I hope we keep doing it. She was sort of disappointed because I didn't spend as much time. I was, I had another book. I had cosmic cats that i was trying to promote at the same time and i wasn't doing as much to promote victims and victims really deserved a lot more and i think it would have won an award if i had you know given copies to more people and stuff like that anyway but our process basically uh she'll say let's we hit we need a collaboration so she wrote like the first five what is it five lines something like that i don't have the i don't have the actual poem here and then I just sort of like expand on it. I know that the bit about CRISPR and uh, the genetic, uh, you know, how how the the uh, the child, the uh, the Galatea was created uh, was, you know, so I, I put a little scientific stuff in there. But then I don't know how the rest of it is. I mean, I would probably send her something and she would send it back to me and we'd send something else. And I'd say, no, change this line and put this line in there. And so that is a true collaboration in every sense of, you know, mixing up everything. But I do know that she wrote the first part and I wrote the first. Let me look at the poem. Yeah, because you have the lines, purchases grade AAA eggs, fertilize them himself, uses CRISPR to tweak and paint and mold. Well, no, I think she was the AAA wigs. Uh, wait a minute. Okay. Wait a minute. I uh, <laughs> never choke a stranger. I mean, she, you know, she's a, a very, very evil woman. <laughs> and I can't find the poem. I think that, that the AAA eggs were hers, but the CRISPR was mine. 
and who knows which but then i i can't even i could if i had to i could go back over our emails because we do it she lives in florida so we weren't not sitting next to each other doing this um it was i don't know never mind i won't that's <laughs> okay that's okay. all right <laughs> i was satan's sweethearts which is a different one um anyway i i you know i i just know those lines because i knew about uh, gene sequencing and gene, you know, genetic engineering, and she probably does too. But she wouldn't have thought of putting quite a, making it quite so specific. Sure. And the rest of it, just like we sort of created this this horrible relationship, which is basically, you know, when you think about it, I mean, you know, he impregnated the egg. So this is not only just like abusive, and it's like uh, I don't know, it's like like the imprisonment which has happened to women it's it's like it, it you know it was incest in a, in addition to everything else as well as abuse and then of course he murders her you know yeah and i don't know who decided to murder her probably both of us <laughs> that was a conference call <laughs> <laughs> well i told her over the telephone that's the other awful thing is that i can't understand her over the telephone for some reason or other so we do it all by email and then sometimes in person if i go down there yeah where does she live uh she okay. lives in ocala which is a very very poetry um non a desert it, it's a cultural desert she and her husband live there they are very very close like they're sort of like the the mirror image of Jeff and me. Her husband is also her husband is a very very well known poet in the poetry community that we're in, and uh, so they bounce across the, across each other. And I think there's a little sort of I don't know they they may compete against each other, let us say. But still, you know, very very both of them very brilliant. But that's it for her. She lives in this town and. Other than that, she just communicates with people on the on the web and travels to some degree. But there's no poetry community there, just none. She just there. No, you know, I. It's very sad. We've got a wonderful poetry community, as you know, here in mm -hmm. in Ohio. Yes, it is thriving here, thankfully. Um, and and you you you're light. You're you're writing. I, I imagine that her writing attracted you somewhat because. You like dark. And like when I mentioned that in the email, you, you looked at the questions, you're like, yes, I like dark writing. <laughs> I like messed up, disturbed. Dark and funny, dark and funny. And it's, of often, course, often at the same time. Often at the same time. And one of the things that I like about, I don't know whether I should mention this, but dare I mention that you're writing a novel that I'm reading parts of? <laughs> you, you, can, you can mention that. I won't extrapolate, but you can feel free yeah, to mention it. You know, it just is so, it's just so wonderful. So, you know, it'll go along and be really horrible and then it's funny and then it's funny, funny, funny and then it's horrible again. And it's like, it, you know, Shakespeare discovered that. Shakespeare, that's why there's fools in all of the tragedies because he knew that that, 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 that um, a little combination of sweet and sour just really worked. The, the salt and bitter really worked, you know, and, and you've discovered the same thing, I think. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. What 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 attracts you to that type of writing? Like the not just well dark and funny, but what of the disturbing nature pulls you in? I, I, I don't know. I've always been like that. When I was a little girl, people used to think I was funny, and I would think, "Why do they think I'm funny?" And oh, it's because I just said something really horrible and then made it ridiculous. And I don't think I 
even want to do that. I have had some, I've had a good life, but I, um, my son died by suicide when, uh, in, in 2010. And I, I think that's probably made my work a little darker, um, but I don't, it's still funny. I don't know. And he was very funny too. He was, a, he was a, uh, a, um, heavy metal, um, guitarist and vocalist and had a, uh, had a band and he was a poet. Okay. So maybe that's it. I don't know. Sure. But my whole family is like that. We're kind of like, we have this kind of dark, funny side. We dig at people, kind of. Yeah, sort of thing like you bring a friend over to Thanksgiving, you have to warn them. Like, they're like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. My, my sister, my sister is a, uh, my sister writes some historical true crime. And uh, she's, uh, in fact, if you Google you Google each one of us, you discover she's got more hits than I do, which is very annoying. But <laughs> Well, you're going to catch up, I believe. <laughs> um, My father's chief estimator was uh, murdered in a very sensational sex murder in um, uh, 86, I think, 1986. And that's probably somewhat informed some of our our feelings about life i've never written a poem about him but she's writing a, a book that is in which he plays a role in which his murder plays a role holy crap are you serious yeah that's yeah. insane it was it was a really horrible sensational murder and no it's never been solved we have no idea it was apparently uh sexually motivated and uh i won't uh, go further than that but uh uh, and she's been afraid to investigate it very much because she's afraid the murderer might come back. <laughs> sure. Oh my God. Okay. Um, geez. Uh, okay. So I want to ask the both of you, do you guys bond over whimsical stuff? And and the reason I ask is because both of you write whimsical stuff. So Jeff, you literally have a book called the book of whimsy mm -hmm. and Mary, you wrote your poem, like the thing that ate you, you have this poem called the thing that ate you about this like monster that eats this thing and then crawls into the speaker and wears them like a puppet. And so <laughs> I'm just wondering if that's something you bond over and um, are you guys drawn to absurdism? Are you drawn to it in different ways? Are there different uh, parts of it that appeal to you? Oh yeah, absolutely. We're, uh, we both have the sort of weird sense of humor and uh, you know, uh, appreciate things like Roland Atlas Thompson Gunner and etc. That's our that's our song. That's, yes, that's our song. <laughs> We're very fond of Warren Zevon. This is something we discovered before we ever got together. We discovered that we were both Warren Zevon fans. And you know, Warren Zevon, you know, he's kind of dark. But uh I think our our senses of whimsy are a little bit different, but mm -hmm. close enough that we can uh, we can relate. Sure. How, how would you say that they're different? She likes her whimsy, as you were saying, with a dark touch. Uh, I'm not, and for example, she likes horror movies. I tend to be somewhat indifferent to horror movies unless they're actually screamingly funny, in which case I'm I'm good. But uh, but she's much more the, you know, she likes horror movies to be both quite horrible and doesn't mind a little bit of the the funny moments now and then sure have you ever seen like cabin in the woods or tucker and dale 
Yes. That would be Mary's uh -huh. type of thing, uh -huh. exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We went to see. Uh, I I would be more like Zombieland. Yeah, we saw uh -huh. Zombieland was great. We saw um, there was a local theater that did uh, Texas Chainsaw Murder, wasn't it? Yeah, was that's it? more you. Yeah. yeah well, we went together Texas to that though. Remember, chainsaw. they asked us if we wanted to sit. It was wonderful. What the thing? I can't re remember what. <laughs> but when we got the tickets, they said, "Do you want to sit in the splatter zone?" And if you sat on the phone, they give you a T-shirt that you could wear, so that when you went home, you would have a T-shirt with red junk all over it, which of course paint, but you know you sure. could pretend. That's cool. I well, it's, yeah. Did you enjoy that? Like, I, 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 I enjoyed it. Awesome. I don't know about oh, him. Well, that one was good because they were not playing it for the horror; <laughs> they were playing it for the uh, uh, absurdity. I think. So, yeah. I, I actually quite love uh, live theater because you say, hey, wow, they're doing it just for me. So. Yeah. So Sweeney Todd's type stuff. Yes, <laughs> yes. Sweeney Todd, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Tucker and Dale versus Evil, if you ever get the chance to watch this, I recommend that movie just because it's, it's about these two guys who are going up to fix up this cabin. And it's told from their perspective. But there's this also this group of teenagers that's up there. And one of they're out like swimming and one falls and hits her head and falls in the water and almost drowns and they save her. But from the teenager's perspective, they all they see is Tucker and Dale moving this girl's body into their boat and taking it back to their cabin. So it leads to like these mishaps where like the teenagers are trying to rescue this girl and thinking that they're murderers but they're absolutely not and so they're like coming in with like tire irons and stuff and like trying to save her and it just it just escalates it's a very funny movie tucker and dale and what's the rest of the name of it it's called tucker and dale versus evil <laughs> it's hilarious i think it's 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 very much a zombie land type movie it's like a fake slasher the other, the other thing we have in common is more serious which is that we're both space space enthusiasts and space advocates mm -hmm. And that's not funny. It's well, it can have funny things in it, but it's uh Yeah. How so? How so? Um well, we do things like uh Mary used to hold a party every August to go out and just watch the Perseid meteor shower yeah. in the middle of middle of August. So uh you know, just interested in astronomy and space and planets and et cetera. So sure. that that's fun. Yes. Very cool. Do you guys, how, how is your approach to writing different? Like, do you rely on different literary techniques? Do you, do you, do you rely on each other for like, if you're, if you're reading each other's work, do you rely on each other, like various strengths and weaknesses to kind of supplement what you might be less good at? Mary is much more methodical than I am. Uh, Mary will get in the mode where she says, I'm going to, you know, put down uh, five pages every day and say, I'm just don't don't bother me. I'm going to do do these five pages. I can do that sometimes, uh, but mostly I'm more erratic. And if I feel like writing, I'll sit down and do some writing. And if I'm not, uh, you know, it does, doesn't bother me. She says, if I'm not. I don't do my pages today. Uh, the day is wasted. So, yeah. He's more 
methodical in how he shapes things though um he's a wonderful yeah. plotter just wonderful he just he's you know there's no beat in a story that is is wasted in a story that he but we're talking about stories now and the same thing with his poetry he doesn't i don't i've never seen him write a poem that was disorganized <laughs> or that didn't have a Oh, I should show you my file of fragments and poems okay. that didn't work. Okay. <laughs> okay. <got> <laughs> That's, uh... Rough draft <laughs> copy, notwithstanding. Well <laughs> <laughs> organized when they get to the end sometimes. <laughs> I mean, I see that in your work. I mean, Mars Crossing was a very like like Mary said, beat for beat. Um, you know, it, it really moves along and there's there is no there aren't wasted scenes. There aren't waste, but also your your poetry. I, I this, I don't want to say that this word best sums up your work, but because it it really kind of undercuts the the emotional quality that you definitely have. Um, but disciplined, your work is very disciplined, and I appreciate that about that. Just like the the structure, you have all these different structures, but you can tell you spent time getting it to that place. You know what I mean? Well, that's actually more playfulness. I like playing with structure. It's fun. <laughs> well and that's that's cool and and i get i actually used one of your poems in a workshop to to show as like you know this is an example of you know sp spreading out words and using your white space and everything and um it was it was from the whimsy collection oh. and uh you know people were like well what does it take to get there and i was like i don't know i must have spent a lot of time on it but it's funny to hear you say no nah, it's just me batting a ball around i was just playing around <laughs> i think the element of playfulness in poetry is underrated sometimes uh and especially in form poetry that's uh, just trying to fit the form but yet come up with something that's unexpected and su surprising yeah yeah and and I think that when you don't when you're not being playful or you're not enjoying the process or at least respecting the process and, and really invest in, in investing yourself in it I think what winds up happening is that you write to the form and then the creative some of the some of the creative quality is lost you know um so you guys are both fencers which this is this is another interesting thing um mary in 2016 you were a member of the u.s women's foil team at the veterans fencing world championships yes you guys are both fencers uh mary you're highly accomplished jeff i don't know i i found more about mary's fencing Much than better you. fencer than i am please no. understand that no actually it's all her fault she got me into it <laughs> she got me into yes. it yeah <laughs> so it's both of your faults that you're good fencers <laughs> Um, my so, secret is that there aren't very many people my age. There are not very. In fact, <laughs> in the country, there's probably about ten women in my age group, and only two of us sometimes will go to a tournament, and they will have a special <laughs> part for just eighty-year-old women. And guess what? One of us has to get a silver medal, and the other one gets a gold medal. And guess what? Nobody goes away without a medal. Uh, I just like it, I just that, like going out and stabbing people. Yes, but in the, <laughs> the, when I got to be eleventh in the country, it it actually actually I did win a few bouts, doggone it! And there were some women that were as much as twelve years younger than I was. Whoa! Okay. 
but you know you can just keep doing it and it's it's uh it's fun it gets the aggression out yeah does it does it do you think it informs your creative side at all yes um it's funny that the people there's a lot of creative writers a lot of science fiction writers specifically who are fencers and uh they sort of i i don't know why they get from here to there one of them is of course that if you write science fiction of course you have to like swords <laughs> because you know what swords swords are cool you know <laughs> they are they're very cool <laughs> yeah that's his line and uh you know i'm writing a novel right now about a girl that uh when she does a particular move in um when she fences she winds up time traveling to the planet to the moon of jupiter callisto five billion years in the future and uh bad things happen there <laughs> accompanied by her cat of course <laughs> and it's it's of course it's funny i'm sorry it is when you get cats and time travel together and swords and stuff like that i guess it's funny but i try to make it more serious doesn't always work but i try i so I am also privy to this this novel that you're working on, and I think it is funny. I think it's very funny. I enjoy I enjoy oh, how that's right. That's right. You do know about that, don't you? I do. I do know about that, and because uh, because there we're we're in like the part that the workshop has hit. You're in like the penultimate fight. Like you're, we're near the end of the book, and um, we're almost to the to the end. Almost to the end. Yes. Yeah, and despite the fact that the stakes feel real. <laughs> it's it's also funny like you can't resist <laughs> uh, cats cats are inherently funny there's no way you could be serious and be in the same room with a cat um, i don't know unless you're christopher smart i guess or somebody so when, when you look at like statues of like ushapti or like an old like ancient like you know egyptian cat uh -huh. you know hieroglyphs and stuff yes do you find those funny too? I know something about, I you know, I've read some stuff about what the Egyptians did with cats and it's a, it a lot, a lot of it, you know, the problem with the whole bit about pets and animals and stuff like that is people are, people are cruel to their pets. They may, you know, they're, for the most part, they're very kind, but there's, there's a lot of cruelty there too. It may be unconscious and, and a lot of making fun of the, the animal and maybe the animal doesn't really understand that, but, or maybe they kind of do, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I, I would find those huge statues of lions and stuff like that. I find them intimidating. They're not funny at all. Okay. But I, I also know about... Uh, the whole kitten mummy thing and i have the kitten mummy poem which i will not share with you but today but sure yeah i, I know like sometimes they were you know buried in the tomb the sarcophagus with them or, a lot of them millions possibly maybe <laughs> maybe hundreds of thousands but yes they bred kittens basically so that they could wring their necks and put them in the tomb wrap them up as mummies and then they would go into the to um be helpful in the afterlife you know to intercede in the afterlife sort of like 
Oh my God. <laughs> they, they, they bred them for this purpose. Yes. Yes. They were bred for this purpose. The, the Egyptians had this, this, and we have the same thing. I mean, I think right now we're in a period of time when, when cats and I, you know, this is not a serious topic and I know it isn't serious, but it's, it's still interesting to me. And it's still, tells me something about what human beings are like the the egyptians had there were two things first of all they loved cats and they they thought they were wonderful and of course they some of their gods were cats uh, uh boston i can't remember the other one you said the name a little while ago setnet setnet yeah um but at the same time they the priests set up an industry where they bred kittens and strangled them when they were like teeny tiny little cute kittens wrapped them up and then they they sold them to people to intercede them and it's sort of like you know the 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 catholic custom of um um intercessions there it isn't exactly intercessions but you know the priest uh you, you pray 20 times and or you give money and then the priest prays for you and then that's an intercession i can't remember what it is it's a uh, it, there's there's a there's a better name for it but that was the same same thing somehow or other they were supposed to you know guide your way into the other world or your mother's or your i don't know your uncle's blood way into the other world you they were intercessors and they were but you know and they did this they they bred them specifically so they could strangle them and wrap them up as mummies it was just kind of like what you know yeah stuff like that i mean well, maybe God. Yeah, well, now I feel super ignorant for asking if that's hilarious to you. Um, <laughs> so thank you for... I don't know. I don't find it hilarious, but... No, but I feel bad for asking that question because now I, I didn't know any of that. And it's it's a lot darker than... Well, the, thing, the, the other thing about, you know, you hear about these stories about uh, kittens being drowned, you know, throw them in a bag and throw them in the river. Before, they, they didn't spay female kit, cats. Um Oh, I don't know why I should get into this, but until, I don't know, mid 20th century, they didn't spay female cats. So they just had litter after litter, after litter, after litter. And the method of birth control is, well, okay, we don't need these kittens. So you put them in a bag, throw them in the river. Oh. Truthfully. And you don't think about that, but what else were they going to do if we weren't going to be overrun with cats? Because they didn't know. You just really wanted to. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but yeah, this is the part of the dark and light. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, right? Like, if, if you go to write something dark, that's coming from a place. Yes, you're, it doesn't just you just don't magically go. Well, I'm going to be dark today. Like, there's something that got you there before you sat down to write. Yeah, yeah. Um, what what do you guys want listeners to know about your work and yourselves? Wow, that's a hard one to throw at us. Uh, <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> the, well, the thing is, I write different things. Sometimes I do write the whimsy that you talk about, and sometimes I write things that are just playing with ideas and playing with characters and playing with uh, just understanding kind of the beauty and the grandeur of the universe. Mm -hmm. uh, so I guess just the thought that, well, it's different things. We're, we're all about different things. What, whatever happens to be attracting my attention at the moment. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Mary? Um, yeah, I'm, 
I, I think every writer that writes for any period of time probably has several different personae. And, you know, if you pick up the wrong book, you're not going to like that writer. If you pick up the right one, then you will. Um, and I've just come to a point in my life where I realize that I am not going to be a best a New York best times bestseller, probably. I mean, anything could happen, but probably not. And I think what I want is to have somebody read my stuff. I enjoy writing it. And even if they don't, the ultimate goal is I enjoy writing it. I have fun mm -hmm. writing it. And I would like very much to have other people enjoy it. But if they don't, well, at least one person enjoyed it. And that's me. Good. That's but, awesome. And I've got a lot of different things. I I write science fiction and I write YA and I write Mars stuff and and I'm also a space enthusiast. Yeah. And okay. Um would you would you both please read a poem before we log off here? Okay. You wanna go first or shall I? <laughs> you go first. Oh, okay. Let's see. What did I read last time? Sort of one whimsical. Maybe here's one that's a little bit less whimsical. This one was actually an acrostic poem. I was invited to write a poem for a gallery opening, and the title of the gallery opening was Syncope. And a syncope can be a brief period of unconsciousness or an, an empty space, or in music, uh, syncopation is a missing beat. So I was thinking of syncope is all about what isn't there. So here's a poem called Syncope. We feel the shape of things that are not there, the echo of the words that were never spoken. We strain to lift ourselves with the beat of wings we never had. The empty pitcher forms the shape of the water it was made to hold. The decisions we did not make, the choices we did not choose, the roads we did not take, the things we had but lose, the myriad missing moments that make us what we are. Things that are not there as real as the world before us. I can feel their shapes in the air the emptiness of the day after the day you walked away, the words I speak but do not say silently to you. We are not killed by the bullet to the heart, but by the empty space it leaves behind. Wow. That is a very powerful ending. That's, thank you. All right, Mary. Okay, this there's a little background to this. Um, my son was about eight. Uh, he had a couple of friends that used to run with him, and I would take them places and show them things. And it, it always made me kind of happy to show them stuff that I thought maybe they might not otherwise have noticed. And it was, uh, it was well, I can tell you exactly when it was. It was because Halley's Comet came back. But, you know, there were other things that I would take them out to see, I don't know, birds or something like that, take them to the zoo, take them to uh, eat Chinese food, which some of them had never had, had never used chopsticks and stuff like that. Um, and I, I think this may be the feeling that an astronomer might feel. And this is this poem is called The Astronomer. The Astronomer. It is enough. 
to show, show, show a child one, let me start over. It is enough to show just one child a wild eagle, enough to take children out on a cold, dark hill and show them Halley's gossamer tail streaming forever across the sky. Long as a woman's life, it is more than enough. In the dark dome, a girl climbs to the eyepiece, puts her face to the sky, and he says, do you see? Do you see the Cassini division? Titan, how many moons can you see? How many rings? And for a long time, she looks. Then she breathes. Oh, it really is there. It really has rings. And he says, that's what I want to hear. For him, it is enough. Oh, God. Those are really nice poems. Uh, thank you for sharing both of them. Um, uh, okay, uh, this has been Poetry Spotlight, a production of the Ohio Poetry Association. Please follow the OPA on Twitter at Ohio Poetry and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Ohio Poetry. A transcript of this episode can be found on the OPA blog. Visit ohiopoetryassociation.org for more information. And Mary and Jeff, thank you both so very much for coming. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, thank you. This was yes, fun. Yes, we were, we were very honored. <laughs> it was so much fun. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.